Well, good morning, everybody. Um, thank you guys for, uh, for being here this morning and, and being willing to pack in uh, to our space this morning. Um, just to let you guys know, there uh, are actually some folks still coming in, coming down the hallway. Um, so if there is room for you to sort of squeeze in on the aisles where you are, if you can, um, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, but just so you guys know, my name is Reggie, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Redemption. And uh, this morning, I have been given the task of tackling the topic of God's story. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Over the past few weeks here at Redemption, we've been going through a series called The Story of Redemption. And so a couple of weeks ago, Ben addressed the topic of my story. And last week, Jeremy uh, addressed the topic of our story together and today, I'm going to address the topic of God's story and how all of us fit into that. Next Sunday, Ben's going to close down this series that we've been going through with sort of, putting, um, sort of putting feet to what we've heard over the last couple of weeks. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an application-centered um, Sunday next Sunday. Um, but today, we're going to do something uh, other than that. So, so like I said, I'm going to be talking through God's story. Here's the way I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I'm going to tell you how I came to understand what God's story for us is. And then I'm going to encourage us as we try to move forward being a part of God's story. That makes sense? We're, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll move on from there. God, thank you again for giving us the opportunity to be present in this place this morning. God, thank you um, that even though we're packed in tight and it's a little hot and there's a lot going on, that God, in this place this morning, we have the opportunity to meet with you. God, thank you already that we've been able to spend just a few minutes together singing and hopefully worshiping through singing in your presence, God. And now over the next few minutes, as we look at your word and as we come to understand some, um, some things you have for us, God, I pray that you would continue to be at work and I pray that you would continue to meet us in this place. God, I fully recognize that what I have to say this morning is of little importance. But God, what you have to say is of utmost importance. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us through the power and through the work of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that we would walk away from this place having heard and, having, and, and being willing to put into action what you've called us to. God, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy and love, an instrument of the gospel that Jesus might be lifted high and that we might be drawn to you. And God, I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, as I said, I'm going to start this morning with just a little bit of my story. I became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, whatever word you want to use, when I was a junior or about to be a junior in high school. I was at a summer church camp. Have any of you been to a summer church camp? Yeah, okay. So you know what I'm talking about. I was at a summer church camp immediately before my junior year of high school, the only reason I was there is that my girlfriend was there and I wanted to be there too. My girlfriend's now my wife. That's awesome. So I was at this summer camp at a place called Awanata in upstate South Carolina. Some of you may have heard about it. And 
I remember very clearly the things that happened that week, and I remember very clearly the events that led to me becoming a believer. I was in a room, and there was a guy who was preaching, and he was talking about um, he was talking about whether it was possible for us to know where we would spend eternity, whether in heaven or in hell. And it was a very intense um, service, a very intense talk or sermon or whatever you want to call it. And I remember he got to the end of the sermon and he began to count down backwards from 10 to 1. And he was going, if Jesus were to come back in the next 10 seconds by, by the time I get to 1, do you know if you would spend eternity in heaven or hell? And for me, it was a very intense moment. And in that moment, I knew... Um, I don't want to go to hell, right? I don't want to do that. So, hey, I need Jesus. Help me. Um, And so as a result of that talk, I went outside and I talked to somebody who explained to me what it meant to be a believer, what it meant to follow Jesus. And they um, pointed me out, pointed me to Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. And they, they explained to me what salvation was. And so that night, um, I started a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. I became a believer. And over the next two years of my life, during my junior year and senior year of high school, my relationship with Christ and, and my walk with Christ grew in an exponential fashion. When I was a senior in high school, God put some people in my life to mentor me and to disciple me and to help me understand what it means to be a believer. One of them was a, um, was a coach and a teacher of mine at the high school that I went to. He was a redneck from Kentucky. There's no other way to say it. He was a redneck from the hills of Kentucky, and yet God used him incredibly to mentor me and disciple me and to push me along in my faith. And so I remember during this period of time in my life growing, my faith growing, my walk with Christ growing, and learning what it meant to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. I had grown up going to church, but it never made sense to me until this period of time in my life. And I remember very specifically during this period of time in my life, there was a missions conference at the church that I went to. I went to a a pretty traditional Southern Baptist church here in Augusta. And I remember there was a a missions conference, and the church at the time was meeting in a gymnasium, a room very similar to this, except probably a little bigger. And I remember it very distinctly and very clearly, because the reason we were in the gymnasium is that the church had experienced a fire. And so we had nowhere else to meet, and the pastor um, had everybody wearing rubber bands on their wrist so that he could pull his rubber band and remind everybody to be flexible. It's amazing the things you remember. So I remember sitting in this gymnasium and we heard these missionaries talk and we've, we've heard all these things about um, missions work. And I remember the pastor closing down the service and I remember him extending an altar call that's probably very familiar to you if you're from the South and you've been to a traditional church. And he extended this altar call to say, if anybody in this room wants to give their life to Jesus, to follow him, and, and be uh, involved in Christian ministry for the rest of your life. Well, this altar calls for you. Come down front. And, and so I did. I came down front. And, and I'm not sure I really knew what I was doing. Um, I'm not really sure I knew what I was committing myself to. But I knew that I loved Jesus. 
And if it means um, that I need to be a missionary in order to love Jesus, then I'm going to be a missionary. So right here, that's me. So I went down front and I talked to the pastor and, 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 and we did all these things. And I, I remember looking, or, or looking back on it now, like I said, I'm not even sure I knew what I was saying or what I was doing. I just knew that if Jesus was calling me to tell people about him, well, then that's what I wanted to do. I was all about being a missionary or whatever else that God wanted me to do. And so as a result of that period of time in my life of growth, I ended up during my first year of college going to Columbia Bible College. It's now called Columbia International University. It's in Columbia, South Carolina. If you know anything about Columbia Bible College, they're all about growing, developing, training, and sending out missionaries. And so uh, I was there during my first year of college. I was in that environment where over and over and over and over I heard about being a missionary. I heard about going somewhere to tell people about Jesus. And so I remember there was this battle in my head for an entire year as whether or not that's something God was calling me to do. I came to think that what it meant to obey the Great Commission was to go somewhere. I came to believe that if we were being obedient to Jesus, we had to leave where we were and go somewhere else. Somewhere that became ingrained in my head. So I left Columbia Bible College after a year. I came back to Augusta to finish college uh, at Augusta College at the time, Augusta State, and now grew. And um, life happened. I I got married. I finished college in that order. Um, I started working. And I was working for about three years after college before I finally made the decision and the commitment to attend seminary. And I started seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And Jeremy was there with me um, at at the um, Extension Center in Atlanta, where we attended a lot of our classes. And I remember one of the very first classes that impacted me greatly was Introduction to Greek. Uh, you would think that that wouldn't impact you greatly because it's difficult. And um, who wants to study Greek, right? But I had this Greek professor named Jimmy Dukes. Jimmy Dukes was this old redneck as well from Mississippi. When he talked, he had this incredibly intense southern accent. And he was the last person in the world that you think would be a Greek scholar. And yet he had a profound impact on my life just by taking one verse and breaking it down from a grammatical level in the original language of Greek and explaining to me what the call of Jesus was on my life. It was, uh, it was an intense moment in a seminary classroom. And the, and the verse that he broke down for me And the verse that he explained in a a way that I had never understood it before, I had missed it my entire life up until this point when I'm in my mid-twenties in a seminary class talking about Greek. And that verse was was the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I'm going to read for us Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It will also be up on the screen. But Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, it should be a pretty familiar passage to you, but this is what God's Word says. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you look at this passage, and specifically verses 19 and 20, what we see is go therefore and make disciples. When you examine this verse in the original Greek language, the thrust, the heart of the passage is not going. The heart of the passage is making disciples. That's the singular verbal command in Matthew 28:19, make disciples. And it rocked my world. It rocked my world because for 25 years of my, well, not 25 years, but for however long God had been working in my heart related to following Him and serving Him, I thought to serve God, I had to go somewhere else. And here, a seminary professor very clearly pointed out to me that the thrust of the Great Commission is to make disciples. The going and the baptizing and the teaching in the original language are all participles. That means they're a verbal noun. They're a modifier. They modify the central command and the central thrust of the passage, which is to make disciples. Now, in all fairness, for us to understand what the Great Commission is saying and teaching, we have to understand that the command here is all-encompassing. The command is to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. We can't separate those things from one another. But in my mind, there was a huge shift for me to understand that the command was not to go. The command was to make disciples. But you can't separate these items from one another. And some scholars will even go so far as to say that the structure of the sentence means that the go should carry as much weight as the make disciples. Others will say the going and the baptizing and the teaching modify the the process of making disciples. But either way, those arguments are irrelevant and they don't matter. And here's why. If we take Jesus' command as a whole... And we understand Jesus' command in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. If we understand what Jesus is telling us in light of all of Scripture, then we'll begin to understand that we're all called to make disciples. We're all called to go. We're all called to baptize. We're all called to teach. Some of us are called to go to a foreign country. And some of us are called to go to a different state or a different city. But some of us are called to go next door to our neighbor's house. And some of us are called to go across the hallway at work to our co-worker's office that's across from us. And some of us are called to go across our house to our daughter's room and begin to make disciples in the spheres of influence that God already has us in. Where we are called to go is important. But what's even more important is to realize that we're all sent. We're all 
called to go somewhere. The challenge initially is to figure out where it is that God is sending us to make disciples. But it doesn't change the fact that we're all called to make disciples somewhere. And it may be right here in Augusta, Georgia, where you grew up. And it might be in the Middle East somewhere where God sends you as a missionary. Or it may be across the country in California, but it doesn't matter. The command still applies to all of us to make disciples. You guys with me? Everybody still good? Anybody angry? Some of you look really angry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you mad. So what we need to understand is that we're all called to make disciples. We're all sent. And here's the crux of the matter for today. The way we join God's story is by joining God on his mission to make disciples for his glory. You with me? My story, our story, God's story. You and I, together, as a part of the body of faith, the way we join God's story is to join God on his mission to make disciples, ultimately for his glory. So let me clarify a few things about that statement. If you don't hear anything else from me this morning, I want you to hear what I just said. The way we join God's story is by together joining God on his mission to make disciples. It's his mission. It's not ours. Jesus gave it to us. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go make disciples. I'm going to be with you to the end. It's God's mission. It's God's authority to give us that mission. It's God's Um, completely in the realm of of what God can do to command us to do those things. That's what he does. He's going to tell us he's going to be with us to the end. Go make disciples. But let me clarify a few things about that. Number one is this, is that we are not on mission to make disciples alone. We're in this together as a body of faith. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And as a matter of fact, If you guys notice, we don't have uh, bulletins this morning. Um, There were a couple of issues uh, as to why we don't have bulletins. But here's your homework. There's usually questions in the bulletin. Uh, Here's your homework. Go read John chapter 17 and talk about it. It's very simple. Read John chapter 17 and talk about it. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for his followers in the future. He's praying for us. He prays for us in that passage. And he says to his disciples, and as he's praying, when Jesus prays for his disciples and for believers who follow after him, he says this to God, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, plural, them into the world. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, plural, Together, Jesus is sending out his disciples together to make disciples. When I went to Bible college, I thought being a missionary meant going out on your own somewhere over there and telling people about Jesus. I thought this verse, the Great Commission, was all about me going and doing something. But if we understand Jesus' command in light of all of Scripture... We understand that 
We together are sent on mission. Do you know what the one institution that Jesus created was during his entire life on earth? As a result of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus created one thing. He created the church. He created the church. Do do you remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus asked the disciples who he was, and Simon Peter replied and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus built, and Jesus is building his church church and the central mission and the central thrust of the church that jesus established and that jesus is still building is making disciples jesus left the church to be his body to fulfill his mission to make disciples charles spurgeon once said every christian is either a missionary or an imposter And though we might want to clarify the language, the impulse of what he was getting at is still the same. Every Christian is called to live on mission, and that mission is to make disciples. But we are not called to be on mission alone. So to be on mission, to be missional, means that we as a church realize that we exist to join Jesus in God's mission And we are sent by the authority of Jesus and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit in that process because Jesus said He would be with us until the end. Our mission is rooted in the very identity of God. God is on a mission. Jesus is the embodiment of that mission. And Jesus identifies Himself as being sent more than 40 times in the Gospel of John alone. The the church is sent on mission just like Jesus was sent. And I should clarify here, there's a subtle shift in maybe how I should say this. It's not just that the church has a mission, but rather that God gave His mission a church. We're simply joining Jesus on His mission to make disciples. A a missional church, a, a church on mission is one that seeks to engage everyone in the church in the activity that God has for them. Our goal should be from move, our goal should be to move from just sitting in rows or sitting in living rooms to living in such a way that we are engaged in the work that God has sent us to do. And the work that God has sent us to do is to make disciples. Let me clarify something else. First, we're not sent on this mission to make disciples alone. It is a community of faith activity. It is the responsibility of the church to make disciples. We do it together. But secondly, let me clarify that there is an inherent danger in living life on mission. And we need to be aware of and avoid that danger. There's probably multiple dangers, but here's one of them. The danger that waits on us, the danger that lurks for us is this. It's that we can suddenly begin to key on ourselves rather than on Jesus. 
when we think of what Christian mission is and what living on mission means. Over time, we might start to function as if Christian mission begins with us and centers on our intentionality and our activities and our relationships and our efforts. And when that happens, what begins to excite us is not the gospel story, the old, old gospel story of how Jesus changes lives, but rather our strategies for kingdom advancement and disciple making. Here's what people need. People don't need our strategies. They need Jesus. We need to remember and we need to recognize that the most important part of the Christian mission isn't the Christian, it's the Christ. One pastor has put it this way, our small efforts at living on mission for Christ, courageous and self-sacrificial as they may be, are only faint echoes of the world-altering, one-of-a-kind incarnation of the very Son of God. And if Christian mission doesn't flow from and toward the worship of the incarnate one, we're really just running around the hamster wheel. Has anybody ever seen a hamster run around a hamster wheel? If you haven't, you can go to Petco and watch it. But I'm going to fill you in on something. The hamster never gets anywhere. He runs around and around and around, but he doesn't go anywhere. We as a church aren't going to get anywhere until our focus is ultimately on the Christ who gives us the mission. If the chief theme of our lives is not worshiping Jesus, enjoying God through Jesus, being freshly astounded by His grace toward us as sinners, then we have no good business endeavoring to bring others into an experience that we ourselves are not enjoying. And so it is not only the most missional among us, but all of us who need reminding again and again and again that mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And the reason that mission exists and the reason that Jesus has given us a mission to make disciples is because there are places and there are people where worship does not exist for them because they haven't heard the old, old gospel story. Jesus has given us a mission to make disciples because there are people who don't worship Jesus and they don't know. The danger for us in the, um, in the goal of making disciples is that we key on our activities rather than keying on Jesus. And we have no point in bringing people into a body of faith that's focused on us rather than being focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. Like I said, the reason we are on mission to make disciples is because there are still people in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world who don't worship Jesus because they've never been called to be disciples by hearing the old, old gospel story. They've never been called to Jesus. They've never been aligned with the church community. They've never been taught the truth of the gospel. Over the years, I've found it interesting 
and intriguing to hear and to read about people's last words on earth before they die. I think you can learn a lot about a person by hearing the very last words they spoke to the people around them while they're on their deathbed. James Brown, right here from Augusta, the godfather of soul, died on Christmas Day in 2006. When he was in his hospital room with his family around him, the last words he spoke to his family were, I'm going away tonight. Two of the founding fathers of our nation were actually enemies of a sort. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, they didn't like each other. They both died on July 4th, 1826, not knowing the fate of one another. And John Adams' last words on earth where Thomas Jefferson still survives. On his deathbed, he was concerned that his enemy was still alive, even though he had died the very same day. Joan Crawford, highly regarded as one of the most uh, spectacular movie actresses of all time, she died of cancer. She had been bedridden for years. And on her last day on earth, she observed the two nurses that were caring for her, praying for her by her bed. And her words to them were, don't you dare ask God to help me. This is my favorite. I think it's humorous. Humphrey Bogart on his deathbed is reported to have said, I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. While these last words are interesting, there's no real lesson to learn from them. I find them intriguing and I wonder about the emotional and psychological and mental and spiritual and physical makeup of these folks to make things like that be their last word. James Brown had an understanding that something was about to happen. That's interesting. That's a side that we don't usually hear about. But there's no real value to these last words. They don't mean anything. On the other hand, we have some pretty important last words from Jesus. The gospel writers and Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, records some different things that Jesus said before he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. And and they record the emphasis of what Jesus said a little differently. But right here in Matthew 28... At the very end, we have some pretty important words from Jesus. Let me read them to you again. Starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some of the last recorded words of Jesus that we have, whether they are the last words or not, some of the last recorded words of Jesus that we have is Jesus saying, I have all authority, go make disciples, and I'm going to empower you to do it. Jesus' last words that we have here, they do matter. They do have value. And it is a distinct call to action. Next Sunday, 
Ben is going to talk more about how we apply all that we've heard over the last few weeks. He's going to give feet to even what on legs, to even what I've talked about today. But here's what I want you to take away today. Here's what I want you to grasp if you don't grasp anything else. We as a church are called to join God in His story of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and on. Right? We as a church, we're called to join God in His story of making disciples. It's God's story. It's God's mission. God extended it to us as His body here on earth. And if we're not all in, I, I want you to hear this, okay? And I'm not being mean when I say this. It's, it's a reality check. If we're not all in, if we are not on mission to make disciples, then we as a church are failing. And we're not part of God's story of bringing worship to where there is no worship. We're not part of God's story of making disciples. If we're not all in, if we're not on, in the business of making disciples, then we're failing. Bottom line. Make no mistake about it. We may be meeting the minimal qualifications of what it means to be a church, but if we are not making disciples, then we're failing as a church. Bottom line. And so what I want us to walk away from this place with today is an understanding that God has called us to be on mission to make disciples. That's God's story. That's God calling us into His story. And it's messy. And it takes time. And it takes effort. But it starts with an understanding that that's what God has called us to do. And when we begin to frame all of our church life, all of our church activities, all of our relationships around the concept that God has called us to be a part of His story by making disciples, well then it helps to make sense of some things. It helps to give feet and legs and an action plan to why we exist and where we're going and what we're about. So when you walk out of here today, please walk out of here with the understanding that God has called us to be on mission with Him to make disciples. And that's the story that God wants us to join with Him. Got it? Let's pray. God, thank You for the opportunity we've had to be reminded of Your call on our life. And God, even though it's difficult because we have to face we have to face and evaluate our own life in the midst of your call on us. And God, whether we're facing the fact that whether we're a disciple or not, whether we've come face to face with whether or not we're engaging in disciple making, wherever it is that you've come to meet us this morning, God, I pray that you would continue to move in our hearts and minds to draw us to the place where you would have us to be. God, thank you that the call on our lives and the call on this church is clear. There's no mistaking what you've called us to. God, help us to be faithful to that. Help us to be wise in the way that we do that. God, help us to focus on you as we do that. And God, we thank you that, the, we thank you that you've promised to be with us as you give us this opportunity to join 
your story. And God, I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.